A cat anxiously sits in the park and stares at an unattended hot dog that someone left on a yellow bench. <laughs> um, and the fact that someone bothered to mention the fact that the hot dog was unattended in some ways implies that hot dogs are usually attended, whatever that means. This is Parsing Science, the unpublished stories behind the world's most compelling science, as told by the researchers themselves. I'm Doug Lay. And I'm Ryan Watkins. A picture may be worth a thousand words, but can we teach computers to find the stories that lie inside our images? Today we're visited by Dr. Davy Parikh, an assistant professor at Georgia Tech's School of Interactive Computing. In this episode, Davy discusses her research on training AI, artificial intelligence systems, to determine the semantic meaning within images. This episode is sponsored by We Share Science. When researchers are curious about what is happening in science, they go to We Share Science to explore video abstracts uploaded by other researchers. You can search their vast catalog of video abstracts to learn about the latest scientific findings, or you can share your research with the world. Whether your research is in progress or already published, at We Share Science, you can share your science and grow your impact. Explore the world's research at WeShareScience.org. Now, back to Parsing Science. A quick note before today's show. Davy's work concerns computer vision. If you're able, you might like to visit ParsingScience.org to follow along with the images that she discusses in this episode. Now, here's Davy Park. My name is Devi Parikh. Um, I'm originally from India. That's where I grew up. And I went to college um, at Rowan University, which is in a small town called Glassboro in southern New Jersey. And then I went to Carnegie Mellon University for graduate school. That's where I got my PhD. Over time, I got more and more interested in computer vision and natural language processing, um, looking at tasks like taking an image and describing it in a sentence or um, if you have an image and someone asks you a natural language free-form question about the image, like how many people are there, what is the person doing, and so on, um, trying to build AI systems that can answer those questions. Um, a lot of the problems involved in that space were sort of these lower-level um, detection problems of just figuring out where the objects are and what their attributes are and what the poses are and so on. Um, but I think I was um, interested more in sort of what happens after that, that even if I know where everything is, that still doesn't tell me um, the full meaning or sort of, um, an, it, does, it still doesn't give me a succinct description of what the image has. Um, so, uh, so for example, if there's a picture of um, two people standing in front of a blackboard, um, if you just run one of these low-level detectors, they're just gonna they're gonna draw a box and say person one is here. They're gonna draw another box and say person two is here. They're gonna draw a third box and say this is a blackboard, um, and that's about it. But if you and I were to look at the image, we would probably look at it and think, oh, these are two professors conversing in front of a blackboard. So that sort of very high-level um, meaning of what is being shown in the scene is not something that you get directly out of just these low-level detections. So one could say that. If that if we can build a system that can take an image and describe it in a sentence the way a human would, that's one way in which the system is demonstrating that it quote unquote understands the scene that it's looking at. Um, or if or if the system is given an image and a question about the image, and if the system can accurately answer a whole bunch of questions about that image, then that's one way for the system to demonstrate that it's understanding the image. 
Um, and so I guess at a high level, it's sort of trying to mimic the way in which a human would interpret the scene. When we look at a scene, we see um, sort of the purpose of the scene and we figure out how the objects are interacting and things like that. Um, and that that's what I'm calling semantic image understanding. Davey wondered if it might be possible to leapfrog over those low-level problems of detecting features within pictures and instead go straight to determining the meaning of what's going on inside them. To do so, she turned to an unusual source, the abstract information that's present in clip art cartoons. Davey explains what it was she and her team sought to achieve through this. I think this paper was... Um... It was it was the first paper in the line of work that we did. And so the goal of this paper was to um, talk about this idea that we can study high-level semantic image understanding on abstract scenes. We don't have to um, hold back progress and wait for low-level object detection and attribute detection to be solved on realistic images before we can start approaching these other problems that are equally, if not more, um, important to go from images to meaning. Um, and so I think the intent of this first paper was to just make that point, basically. Um, and so to make that point, we collected this data set to see if sort of if there were these rich interactions between the objects or not. And if we have these images and text associated with them, what kinds of correlations can we pick up on? We're all familiar with how helpful computers can be in our daily lives. But less known is that people don't just program computers. We also have to train them on how to make sense of our world. Here, Davy explains how this can be accomplished. We see this human involvement for training AI systems in a, in a variety of uh, ways, ranging from having people annotate or label a lot of images so that a machine can use these annotations to build a model for what a cat looks like and what a dog looks like and what a car looks like and so on, um, all the way to um, trying to have these agents be built for the purpose of interacting with a human. So the first example was a human just giving the AI label so that the AI learns from that. But then when it's being deployed in the field, when it's being used for some task, it's on its own. It's not, it's not meant to necessarily be interacting with a human. Um, but then there are other applications where you're intending for this AI agent to be interacting with a human um, for example, the human may be asking a question that the AI needs to answer, or the AI may be a conversational agent um, that the human is interacting with to get some task done, like a personal assistant on your phone, um, and, and, and things like that. So just how can computers be taught to interpret what's important within our images? In the first of her project's three stages, Davy hired a group of people paid to participate in online research projects known as Mechanical Turk Workers. They were asked to create an illustration for a children's storybook by selecting from among 56 clipart objects. Here, she tells us how and why she did this. We wanted to have multiple examples of scenes that all correspond to the same description, and that's something that's hard to do with real images. Um, so there are a lot of these situations where you want very direct control over the distribution of data and you can't find real data to with those properties. And with abstract scenes, you have full control over the distribution. And so with that sort of a very liberating thing um, that you can look at, you can study many different problems on these in this abstract world that you wouldn't necessarily be able to on real images. So the yeah, the first part um, was the data set collection. And what we were what the goal of the data set collection was to have 
multiple scenes that all correspond to the exact same quote-unquote meaning. Um, and this you should note is something that's really hard to do with real images. It would be really hard for me to go on Google or Bing or any other search engine and find multiple images that all have the exact same story to tell while those images still being um, fairly different. And so the way we did this was we first um, had Mechanical Turk workers create uh, scenes from the clip art library um, for a children's storybook. In our case, children playing outside in a park was just one sort of test case. Um, but it could have been if we cared about, I don't know, a family in a in a, in a kitchen or in a home, um, you could have clip art that corresponds to that. And you can try and learn about interactions between different members of the family and so on. As Davy explains next, the second stage in the project involved hiring a new group of Mechanical Turk workers to write brief descriptions for the 1,002 images that the previous group created. For each scene, we went back to Mechanical Turk, went to a different set of uh, workers, and asked them to describe the scene in one or two sentences. Um, and so now we had a sentence that describes, a sentence or two, a short description that describes every scene. So one question that we studied was, um, which of these semantic features are important to the meaning of the scene? And so we found things like, um, which objects are present tends to matter, as you would expect. Um, some objects matter more than others. So for example, the presence of people is important. Um, the presence of certain animals are important. But certain background objects, like um, whether there are trees or not, or what particular kind of tree it is, or whether it's a sort of whether there's a sun or if there's a sun that's partially occluded by a cloud or not, sort of these other background things um, matter less to the meaning of the scene. Um, and I should qualify this by saying that this is all in the context of the domain that we were studying. So we were uh, we were looking at um, children playing in a park. That was what this clip art world was about. And so in that context, these specific kinds of trees and the sun and the cloud and so on were less important, um, but other objects were more important. An example of one of these descriptions from the team's paper is, Jenny just threw the ball angrily at Mike while the dog watches them both. We wondered, what creates meaning? Is it what's in the image, or how objects in them are positioned? It's much more than just which objects are present. It's also more than just Mike and Jenny's expression. It's the whole context of the whole scene. So for example, here's one that says, Mike and Jenny are happy that it's finally time to eat. And if you if you think about the phrase, finally time to eat, it's just very hard to write the meaning of that down in terms of saying this object must be present at this location with this attribute, right? It's just, you can't define it that way. It's the whole context of the whole scene that would result in you using a phrase like finally time to eat. So here's another one. Jenny loves to play soccer, but she's worried that Mike will kick the ball too hard. Mike and Jenny play outside in the sandbox. Mike is afraid of an owl that is in the tree. Jenny had a pie that she didn't want to share that made Mike angry. Mike's soccer ball almost got struck by lightning. So here's one that doesn't um, necessarily feature Mike and Jenny. A cat anxiously sits in the park and stares at an unattended hot dog that someone left on a yellow bench. <laughs> um, and the fact that someone bothered to mention the fact that the hot dog was unattended in some ways implies that hot dogs are usually attended whatever that means. Um, and so that's common sense knowledge that's actually conflicting <laughs> with what the text is saying. 
uh, which makes it even more complicated to learn. In the final stage of their project, Davy's team hired a third group of Mechanical Turk workers and had them write 10 descriptions for each of the 1,002 cartoons created in the previous stage. Then, her team calculated the relationship between the placement of the objects in the cartoons and the words used to describe those images. We went back to a new set of Mechanical Turk workers, um, and for each of these descriptions, we asked 10 different people to create a scene that depicts this sentence, that's sort of a visual instantiation of what this description is. And so that's how we ended up with um, 1,002 groups of 10 scenes each, where each group corresponds to one semantic description. We were looking for a more direct connection between these visual variables, again, the presence of objects, their locations, their attributes, poses, expressions, depth, and between the actual words that are being used in the description, and in particular also the part of speech of that word. So for example, we were curious to know whether um, the occurrence of an object, so the variable that corresponds to telling us which object is present in the scene and not, relates more to nouns in the description um, than to maybe verbs or adverbs and adjectives and prepositions. Um, and similarly, you would imagine that um, relative locations, the feature that tells you how one object is located relative to the other, maybe that corresponds more to prepositions, things like above and below and so on, um, than maybe nouns or verbs. Um, and so that was the second analysis that we were interested in doing in trying to connect these visual features to um, the language features that the descriptions have. Even in very well-run research projects, not everything goes according to plan. So we were interested in learning what changes the team might have had to make on the fly. I would say that when we uh, first, so after we collected the data set and we first um, started analyzing it, I think we were quite excited about uh, this idea of being able to come up with a new semantic similarity metric that would um, capture how similar two scenes are in terms of their meaning. Um, and that being sort of an interesting metric that we could then analyze to understand what it's trying to capture and things like that. Um, and I think that aspect didn't um, wasn't as fruitful as we hoped it would be. Um, so it's now sort of a, a smaller section in the paper. Um, and I think we do much better than what already existed. But we were hoping that by adding in a lot of these complex features, in addition to just occurrence of objects and co-occurrence and so on, um, we'd see a bigger and bigger gain. Um, but we didn't see as much of a gain. And we suspect that it might be because the data set wasn't all that large. I mean, 10,000 scenes made by humans is still a large data set, especially for back then. Um, but it's certainly possible that if we made the data set much larger, we would be able to capture this notion of semantic similarity much better than what we could in this paper. So I would say that's, that's one shift that we went through. Sharing research data and results is essential to scientific progress. The team's paper was accepted as an oral presentation at the IEEE Conference on Computer Vision and Pattern Recognition, which only accepts about 4 to 5% of submissions for delivery in that format. Here, Davy tells us what she feels made this possible. So we were, we were excited that this got in as an oral, um, and Larry, who's the first author on the paper, had given the talk, and I think it was, it was very well received. Um, it, was, it, it was and still is sort of a, a different idea than what most people had been looking at, so I think people found it refreshing and interesting to listen to. 
the whole data set is available even the tools that we use to create that we used on mechanical turk to create these abstract scenes that's publicly available so if anyone wanted to use our data set they would be able to do that if anyone wanted to create their own data set of a similar nature with these clipart objects um they'd be able to do that and we have follow up work that has even more complex and realistic clipart with many more objects many more people indoor and outdoor scenes and all of that is also publicly available people have been using them there are multiple research groups that have used our data sets for um different tasks and so that's been that's been rewarding to see yeah the team succeeded in training computers to identify the important aspects of images and in analyzing the connection between those images and the words used to describe them we wanted to know what kind of practical implications their findings may have one space that we've looked at a good amount is trying to learn common sense from these abstract scenes trying to get a machine to learn common sense things like the fact that when someone is about to eat something they're usually looking at it right that common sense knowledge is really hard to get on the web um because common sense by definition is something that's assumed to be commonly known and text and language is what humans use to communicate and we don't usually communicate the things that we already assume everyone knows so common sense in some sense is hard to find in text but it's present all around us in the visual world um and so we've been trying to use this visual abstract world to learn common sense like this so if i ask people to create a scene where someone is eating a slice of pizza and ask them to create a scene where someone is looking at a slice of pizza we're going to see similarities in the visual scene even though the description of eating and looking at aren't really similar in any sort of textual representation um and so what we've shown is that you can do a better job at learning common sense if you try and learn it from the visual world as well as the text and depending on how intricate intricate this common sense is um you can again control that distribution by controlling the distribution of abstract scenes that you're learning from and what we've shown is that the knowledge that we learn from these abstract scenes does carry over to um real world descriptions of 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 real scenes from computer's ability to spoof spoken words to their use in manipulating video lately fake news has been a frequent topic in the real news We were curious to learn if Davy thought that there might be any unintended antagonistic uses for the technology that she and her team developed. Um I mean some things that have come up in the context of um that I've just heard people talk about so with sort of there's all this excitement around uh, deep learning um and how these deep neural networks have really high um class of image classification accuracy where they can look at an image and tell you what's in it and what people have found is that you can perturb these images in a way that humans can't tell so the image will look the same to us but the machine will classify it completely differently um and so people are talking about how this could potentially be misused um in in applications where a machine is looking at an image to figure out what's in it and you can essentially mislead the machine um to misrecognize it without humans being able to tell that that's what's happening um and that could have some potential for misuse um but i think these things are sort of the ai community is is well aware of it and there's a lot of work on trying to make these models more robust um to not have sort of these adversarial examples that can throw them off and so on so it's still it's still sort of um there's a lot of there's a lot of active work on trying to be careful about this 
the team completed their research in 2013. We were interested in hearing what Davy's been exploring in artificial intelligence in the time since. We've done um, a variety of things with um, abstract scenes, including things like visual humor that I talked about, um, image specificity, trying to see for what kinds of images multiple people give very similar descriptions versus um, multiple people giving different descriptions and trying to study what it is about the scene that leads to that. Um, we've also looked at image memorability, where people have found that if I flash images um, in front of you and if I ask you to press a button every time you think you've seen that image before, you are better at doing that for some images than others. So some images are more memorable to you um, than others. And we wanted to study what is it about scenes that makes them more memorable. And so we've studied that also in ClipArt, where we can control what we show you in the image and what we don't. Um, we've done quite a bit of common sense um, learning from these abstract scenes, trying to get machines to learn common sense from the visual world and trying to show that that generalizes. Um, so that that is sort of a line of work along these abstract scenes that we've had a series of publications on. Um, but more generally, like I was describing earlier, uh, my lab is interested in this intersection of computer vision, natural language processing, and common sense reasoning. Um, and so I think that intersection is generally where a lot of the research in my lab um, uh, is, is where it's placed. Um, not just for abstract scenes, a lot of what we do is with real images, like visual question answering, um, visual dialogue, having conversational agents that can hold a conversation with a human about an image, about a real image. Um, so yeah, those are, those are the kinds of things that we're looking at right now. Lastly, we asked Davy what aspects of her study surprised her and how these might have since guided her current research. I should I should say that this project was so much fun to work on because, I mean, Turkers were having a ball creating all of these different scenes. We got so many positive comments back from them um, saying this is sort of my favorite set of hits that I've been doing. And a lot of people said that after I've had a long day at work, I come back to work on these just to kind of as a bonus to myself. And then you look at these scenes, you look at these descriptions, it's it, it often cracks you up. I think the one aspect that did surprise me was how much Mechanical Turk workers liked creating these scenes. Um, going into this, I didn't I didn't have a sense for that. I didn't I didn't realize that people would enjoy it so much that we would get all these nice emails from them. Um, so I think I think that was great. When we were looking at these different descriptions, the fact that some of those tend to be on the humorous side um, is not something that we were shooting for. We were just sort of asking for scenes and descriptions, but looking at clip art and cartoons. I think people naturally tend to be a little lighthearted with them every so often. Um, and so I think some of the initial seeds of later studying visual humor in this clip art domain may have come at least subconsciously, if not consciously, um, from the work that we were doing in this paper. We've actually had um, a follow-up paper looking at clip art for visual humor. So we asked mechanical turk workers to create funny scenes um, from by using a, a clip art library. And then we also asked them to create more realistic, normal scenes. And we try to train models that can try and detect humor, um, figure out whether a scene is funny or not, and what part of the scene is contributing to the humor, and how that part of the scene should be changed to alter the humor. So it was just an initial study. I mean, humor is a very um, in-depth thing to be studying. Um, so this was just one take at it. That was Dr. Davy Parikh. Her paper with Larry Zitnick was presented at the IEEE Conference on Computer Vision and Pattern Recognition in 2013. 
you'll find a link to their paper on parsingscience.org, along with other materials that she discussed during the show. Next time on Parsing Science, we're visited by Drs. Al Powers and Phil Corlett of Yale University. They'll discuss their research into how people that can hear voices that aren't really there might rely too much on their expectations instead of the actual sensory information perceived by their minds. And we have these people who haven't seen a psychiatrist, don't feel like they need to see a psychiatrist, who function quite well, um, coming in uh, then to my office on a locked ward in a psychiatric hospital to tell me how they're hearing voices. Um, It couldn't have been the most comfortable situation for them. We hope that you'll join us again.